0: there's no music if you have no body to play it with so take everybody first
1: you getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles is this, it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing
0: the truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff diet exercise and sleep take care of that and you'll be fine
1: Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness, and fitness in relation to musicians, artists, and performance.
2: Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. This over here is Angela McHouston.
1: Oh, music strong. I'm having a day. <laughs> I'm is... sorry. <laughs> and this is Dr. Jen from Tuned and Toned Performance. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Duncan Rock, who is a nutritionist and also a operatic baritone. Did I get that correct?
0: Uh, Perfect. Yes, absolutely.
1: Love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because we have not had a nutritionist, let alone, uh, we've had a a couple of people in the operatic uh, arena, but no nutritionist. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and how you got into this whole space?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I'm uh, Australian raised. I grew up in uh, a place called Perth, Western Australia, the famously the most isolated major city in the world. So everyone in the world thinks Australia is the edge of the universe and everyone in Australia thinks Perth is the edge of the universe. So the edge of the edge of the universe a uh, wonderful place to grow up. I grew up, you know, by the beach, playing sport, having a good time. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I uh, won a scholarship to come to London and study music at a school called the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, uh, which I gauge from your facial expression that you you know. I um, do. And did you Did you study there? Did,
1: did- I did not, but I know of it and I've had several colleagues study there.
0: Okay, wonderful school. I had a, a wonderful three years there, um, living in, as a student in London uh, and learning uh, about opera. I was in what they call the Opera School there. And then uh, graduated in 2000 and, <clears throat> and, uh, and sort of had a, a sort of decade or so uh, as, a, as an operatic baritone, singing a lot here in the UK and in Europe, and I've sung over in the States in a few of the houses there. And it's been it's been a wonderful, wonderful life um, as a sort of traveling operatic baritone. Um, How the nutrition sort of fits into that equation is, you know, I I have a lifelong relationship and love for health, fitness, um, mainly sort of, you know, narcissistic, selfish level. I've always just enjoyed sport and fitness and, and all of that. But um, a few years ago, I was at the end of another year of sort of traveling eight months of the year. Um, And, you know, I was starting to get a little older and my then girlfriend, now wife, and I were talking about getting married, starting a family. And I just, I saw a, a, a future conflict that I'd like to avoid. Uh, Not not a conflict with my wife, uh, just a conflict with what I knew I would want from my life and the life I was currently living. Even though I was really enjoying it at the time, I knew there would be a a bit of a a conflict there, sort of internal conflict. So I was considering, I I remember, well, I was in Australia at um, the opera Queensland singing the title role in the opera Don Giovanni. Mm. And I was looking at ways that I might be able to travel less which sort of meant singing less um so i was looking at well maybe there's something else i could do in collaboration or in concert and i was thinking of things to do and i knew i had this love of human biology physiology health fitness preventative healthcare, and i sort of came across this idea of studying nutrition um And I found sort of officially, you know, because I read every nutrition book, and I listened to nutrition podcasts, and I was, you know, very much on top of it. But to study it officially, you know, learn how to read peer-reviewed research and, you know, learn the science of it. And I found a master's degree at Deakin University in Melbourne that would allow me to study majority remotely while I was sort of jumping from New York to London to to uh, Madrid, whatever wherever I happened to be at the time. So I I applied and I did some exams to be able to get in and uh, wrote some, got some people to write some nice letters about me and things like that, and got accepted. And then slowly, slowly, slowly over a course of about two years, completed this master's degree in nutritional science, in human nutrition, and started practicing. And the hope would be that I would be able to sing less, you know, rather than traveling eight months of the year, maybe I'd travel two, three, four months of the year, something more manageable. And started practicing a little bit, just privately, seeing a few people, mainly started with friends, friends of friends, and then word of mouth, you get more clients. And I thought I was very, very clever and I was very pleased with myself. And I was uh, in New York singing at the Metropolitan Opera February and March of 2020. And you may recall in March, 2020, something fairly significant happened. A little virus um, decided to make its way through the world population. I thought you were going to podcast
1: started, but you know, and
0: not- and of course, <laughs> and of course, second most important. Same
1: time, thing. same time frame. You were at the Met. We we met for the first and only time. <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> um, and um, yeah. So so you know, everything sort of collapsed. You know. In, in, in a sense, you know, in, in many aspects. And I had two years of cancellations of, of work, you know, because c- in the opera world, we sort of, um, we we book quite far in advance. You know, you might sign a contract for three, four years in the future. You know, so, I, I, you know, I lost a s- substantial amount of work. And also in July that year, I became a father. My daughter was born, um, which is obviously wonderful, but Congratulations. a little, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Obviously, 99% wonderful, but a little scary having a baby in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know what the future is going to look like. Um, So trying to be positive, trying to, um, you know, do something good with this experience. I ramped up the nutrition stuff, rather than it being like a little side thing that I was just doing for interest, for, to try and help some people, maybe bit, make a bit of money. Um, it, it became something I, I really invested a bit more time in, um, working with more people. I started giving a few seminars and things like that. And um, sorry, I feel like this is the longest answer ever. Is this, I mean, I'm giving you too much detail? <laughs> Not at okay. all. Not at all. <laughs> wonderful. Um, and uh, I was approached by a wonderful now colleague and friend of mine, a guy called Stephen King who is the owner and founder of the London Voice Care Centre. Um, and he approached me saying he has this multidisciplinary clinic in London where they do vocal massage, they have osteopathy, they have speech pathology, performance psychology, you know, obviously vocal lessons and so forth. And we have a, um, an ENT that we work with. And he said, look, I want a nutritionist on my team, but I want someone who understands singers and voices. And as far as I know, you're the only one doing both, um, uh, at you know, at a certain level. Um, and I said, okay. And to be honest, you know, when I was asked, I was apprehensive because my initial thought was I wanted to keep the worlds separate. I wanted to have my singing life, and then my nutrition work. Separate. I didn't want to, I wasn't trying to be a nutritionist for singers or for musicians. I just, I just loved that world. And I, I wasn't working with, uh, specifically with performers. In fact, the performers I were working for in air quotes were athletes, um, sports people. Um, oh. but you know, and you know, so I, I thought about it for a while, but to be honest, they convinced me at the voice care center by showing me case studies of people they had worked with and people who walked in with complete vocal dysphonia, unable to speak, unable to phonate. And they walk out a few weeks, a few months later singing, Um, either happy and and enjoying their their hobby or able to earn money again, able to work again. We work with obviously some opera singers, a lot of singers, West End performers, um, TV presenters, radio presenters, anyone for whom their voice is their livelihood and then also, some people whom, for whom their voice isn't what they're being sort of paid for, but it's an essential facet of their job, school teachers and, and the like. Um, and so that's how the world sort of collided. Um, I started becoming specifically a nutritionist for vocal performers. Um, that was so I started with the work there kind of this time, two years ago, 2020. Um, so I've been doing that for about two years and have since. Sort of giving given more specialized seminars in nutrition for performers at English National Opera and University of Chichester, you know, various places. Um, and I'm now working uh with the Marola young artists, the, the sorry, the um Adler Young Artists at the San Francisco Opera on a regular basis on on health and, and nutrition for their for their young artists. So that's uh that's the longest answer ever, maybe, to uh, that question.
1: <laughs> it's brilliant. Not at all. You shouldn't ask
0: opera singers to talk about themselves. We really, we'll relish, we relish the opportunity. We're
2: okay with that. Yeah, this is, this is something that we haven't heard yet. So it's, it's, and
1: besides that, it's just interesting in general. (laughs) I had seen you were doing something with the San Francisco opera, but I wasn't sure exactly what. So I was curious on how you got into that and what exactly, like, what do you do? How does nutrition play into into vocalization? How does it affect you as a musician? And and I know I've had other people talk to me about, um, you know, things like dry mouth and um, other things like that. And it, you know, and I know I know one other nutritionist, but it's it's not a really. Not, it's not a really big profession. We just don't hear about this enough. So I feel like there is a huge chasm that you could probably bridge this gap for us.
0: Sure. Oh, gosh. Well, I uh, hope not to let you down. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it, No pressure, it though. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. You know, it, it, it really varies uh, inter-individual. Um, it's very, everything we do, particularly at the clinic, at the Voice Care Center, is, is very uh, patient-centered. So it, it, we don't sort of have a prescription that this is what we do for X. It's like, what does this human need? This complete human with uh, entirely wrapped up in not just a pathology or a dysfunction, but a personality and needs and wants and desires. And, and, and I like that in the sort of the biopsychosocial bio-psy- model of, of patient care is sort of the focus. And I, I tend, I try to bring that into my, my other work that I do privately. But, you know, for example, with, with the, the team at San Francisco, um, I've given a sort of base group of seminars for all of the artists. I first gave it to the, um, the Marola Young Artists, who, which is the summer school. There's sort of, I think, 25 or 30 of them. And now I've given similar workshop seminars to the, the young artists, the, the Adler Fellows. But um, I guess first and foremost, singers are people, too so all of the benefits believe it or not um so all of the benefits that map onto good nutrition and that you know that then map onto human physiology and functioning obviously map onto singers and their bodies um so you know longevity optimal energy improving your sleep dealing with jet lag improving your immune functioning improving athletic performance, cardiovascular fitness, all that kind of stuff that nutrition can be a key element in improving. Obviously, singers can benefit from those just as as human beings. But then of course, there are some issues that map specifically onto singers or vocal artists, vocal performers that tend to come up with some frequency, things like immune health, things like optimal hydration, Things like reflux, um, uh, you know, things like you know, things like dealing with jet lag, all that type of stuff. How to eat healthily on the road, how to eat healthy when you're jumping from country to country to country, things like that, which are sort of staples in um, questions that I get asked by performing artists, by singers. And then occasionally there's some, one could say, more serious, more um, specific cases. You know, um, recent client at the voice care center was dealing with um, uh, a very young, um, a young singer who was dealing with um, uh, throat cancer and needed a, um, a low iodine diet sort of prescription because she was having radioactive iodine isotope treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, formulating that, um, that diet for, to aid in her recovery, but also to aid her treatment, you know, things like that, which become a quite more, uh, quite a lot more specific, and detailed, um, you know, the occasional sort of case study of that kind.
1: Can I stop and ask you a question real quick? Sure. So with the, this might be outside your scope, and if it is, let me know. But with this particular person that you're talking about, we're talking about she had, you said, throat cancer. Does that have anything to do with the thyroid or no?
0: I don't think it did in her case, no. It was, my involvement was um, basically, obviously, she'd had... you know, she'd had serious illness and then and, and very wonderful surgical, which was which was su- very, very successful, which is great. But, you know, a certain amount of healing, physiological healing that we, could be aided by optimal nutrition. And then this added element, it, it was a sort of double difficulty because this without giving too much away, of course, um, it, it, it was a, this person um, needed to have a low iodine diet, right. but was also a vegetarian. And a lot oh of vegetarian sources of protein, which of course you do need, at the you know a good stream of amino acids, particularly when you're healing from from injury or from from surgery. A lot of high protein vegetarian sources are also high in iodine. So you know a bit of a, a jigsaw puzzle kind of fitting around that. Um, but it, you know it, it was successful, and, and she's she's doing well. So
1: excellent. Okay. So I, I just I wanted to ask about that because I'm a hypothyroid myself, and I have had doctors tell me you need to supplement with iodine, and then no, you don't, and then yes, you do, and then I'm back and forth, and so it just kind of depends on things. And so I know that they can play well with each other, and sometimes they're not related at all. So I'm just curious on that, but please do continue.
0: The th- thyroid, to my knowledge, is, it can be a tricky one. Um, It it, 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 once again it tends to be quite into individual, uh, quite high into individual variance um, in how things interact with each other. How how are you? You doing okay managing it? it, it
1: So fun story. Uh, My my thyroid died when I was twenty seven, and when I say died, I mean like my body ate half of it, so it doesn't it doesn't work. So I had um, this is an interesting thing. Um, My blood pressure was running very low. My good cholesterol was highly elevated. So we're talking like blood pressure of like 80 over 50. Very low. Very Very low. low. And I was exercising every day. Um, So I was in great shape, but I was gaining weight. My hair was falling out. I was cold, you know, all those kinds of things. And I went to see an osteopath because I thought he'd be great. And he said, well, everything's in, you know, everything is within level. I think you have low blood pressure. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're fired. Give me my blood work. Mike, <laughs> are you serious? Um, I'm not stupid. I looked at my blood work while you were doing whatever you did for the last half hour where you made me sit in this room. All my blood work was at the bottom of the level. Yeah. I mean, I'm within range, but it's at the very bottom, every single one of these, but yet I'm within range. And so my blood pressure is low. So I went to find a doctor and the doctor I found, um, he, he specialized in anti-aging medicine. And I say this in air quotes, which meant he paid more attention to holistic things Mm. and he ended up being hypothyroid himself. So when I went to see him, he said, well, let me see your blood work. He went, so he only looked at this and this, and did you get an ultrasound? And I said, no, but I did have to ask him for my iodine and my ferritin and my, you know, the, I wanted to make all these things. Other people have told me to check. And the guy looked at me weird. And I'm like, I'm paying for this blood work. Tell me what I want to know. And he looked at me yeah. funny. I'm like, well, put it down. Like I had to like force the guy to write it down. Weird. And so this doctor said, no, that's that's good. Okay. Let's get a let's get a thyroid, you know, an ultrasound. So that, you know, you have a butterfly shaped gland here. One side has decreased by half size. It's Extraordinary. gone. Extraordinary. Yeah. And he said, your body started eating at that probably about um, when you hit puberty, your body probably started attacking your thyroid gland because it runs in your family, which it does. Every female in my family has some sort of thyroid something. And uh, my mom included my grandmother, both grandmothers, you know, all of it. And he goes, yeah, so here's the fun thing. So you, you produce something called T4. T4 has to convert to, uh, to T3 you produce very little T4. We're not concerned with TSH. You're also on birth control, which will mess with stuff. So ignore that. Whatever you produce does not convert. So some people who have okay amounts of T4 don't convert. Whatever you produce doesn't convert anyway. So you have a conversion problem. So you need T4 and T3. So he actually put me on, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called armor thyroid. It's like pig pig thyroid. it's it's oh yes yeah I
0: have yeah
1: and it was like this spark went off in my brain and suddenly it's like I remembered who I was I wasn't so tired like I couldn't I it was like I woke up in the morning and I was so tired I couldn't turn over I had no energy no anything and then I started on that and I'm back to my normal self so that's incredible wow yeah so I always wonder when people say iodine I go "Ah, I wonder if that's related because they, they, sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. I'm just curious, okay. on, on in, your, uh, in your experience, what have you seen, especially with vocalists?
0: Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, you know, I, one, one rule I always set myself is I, if I don't know an answer to something, I'm, I'm honest. I, I won't sort of fudge it. I, I haven't had a huge amount of issue dealing with thyroid issues from a nutritional perspective. I know there can be a relationship with iodine um, but you know, th- this, this, uh, patient I was telling you about, it, it didn't seem to be thyroid related. Um, so yeah, I, I won't, I won't sort of out, you know, step out of my box and pretend I know, but I'm very happy to, um, I'm very happy to hear that you've managed it so well.
1: It's, it was amazing. Like the minute I got the tiniest <laughs> little bit, it was like the spark in the back of my brain went hello, I'm here. And I went, that's who I remember who I was. And it's like, as soon as I, you know, and it was just this process of taking that dose and figuring out what I needed. And it's changed throughout the years. Like I get my blood drawn twice a year and we change it. And it, and T S for anybody who's listening, TSH doesn't play into it whatsoever because birth control will mess with that and other things will mess with that. But the free T4 and the free T3, they, they, you know, it wreaks havoc. So find somebody who, I mean to hijack your, your no, thing. No, no, no. Like, it's
0: very interesting. Yeah.
1: But it's, you know, if I had not found that person, I would have been on the ringer for who knows how long. And my gosh, I mean, it's a, it's a never ending thing because we're, I saw that person two weeks ago and we're still tweaking things. Like, for example, my testosterone level was, my level was super low. And when mm. I figured that out, it was the reason why I had super dry eye, it wasn't anything else. So we can go on this whole thing about, you know, hormones and stuff, but it's really interesting because I know that, that actually nutrition can play a role in that. And if you're not getting optimal nutrition that doesn't support your hormone levels and everything else. And I'm going to hush for now.
0: Okay. No, very, very interesting.
1: I'll go off on this a huge diatribe, and this does not need to be around me. We're like, you are our guest, so <laughs> I don't have any hormones, so I'm talk. I'm happy to talk about my lack of all day long.
0: <laughs> it's true. That can be the next podcast.
2: It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find yeah. a hormone person, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure somebody would come talk to us.
1: But <laughs> you so- know? I've wondered about things like you, were, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you know, I've, I've heard things like, well, what can I eat for like, if I have dry mouth or if I have shakes or if I'm nervous or, you know, there, is there anything that I should or should not be eating? And, you know, people talk about bananas and stuff, but there's so yeah. much more to it than that. And I didn't want to derail you on the, the path you were talking about, but these are some of the things that have come up as well.
0: Yeah. So from a nutritional perspective, um, My experience is, and I would would say fairly confidently that the research would justify this and back this up. We have what I call a pill or toxin bias in our nutritional culture. So by that, I mean, we're all looking for that magical pill to take, that magical thing, supplement, food to consume that'll fix all our problems. Do I, should I, if I start taking zinc, will it fix my immune system? If I start taking tryptophan, will it help my sleep? That sort of thing. Or, you know, if I start having aloe vera oil, is it gonna make my hair and skin beautiful? You know, we're all looking for this magic solution. Or on, on the opposite side of that coin, the toxin bias. What am I consuming that's causing my problems? Is it gluten? Is it meat? Is it dairy? Is it you know? Is it caffeine? And and I think this this bias it, it's completely understandable. How wonderful to think that all you have to do is stop drinking caffeine, it'll fix all your problems. You know, <laughs> it, it unfortunately it, it tends not to work that way nutritionally speaking. Um, it, it can work that way in terms of medications and things like that. As actually as you just articulated, um, but in terms of nutrition, there's two things that are really important. Firstly, it's it tends to be eating patterns that either lead to the most detriment or benefit and you know you may have heard that you know eating one healthy meal doesn't make you healthy just like eating one unhealthy meal doesn't make you unhealthy it's a pattern of eating that leads to to health outcomes and then secondly the really difficult one because our brains don't seem to work this way particularly at the moment in our one everything yesterday culture but these outcomes are measured in really long time frames you know if you're thinking days and weeks you're just in the wrong time um time spectrum it's really measured in months but really years and decades uh particularly when you're talking about a lot of the nutritional things that I'm dealing with and, and that I think are really important in current culture in our current society particularly in, in the what we call the western world you know america australia uk new zealand a lot of the the lifestyle diseases that are really plaguing healthcare systems and 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 really hurting populations health and causing unfortunate levels of of suffering and, and even death are measured in decades things like atherosclerosis you know the buildup of of um deposits in the arterial walls that leads to heart attacks and strokes and, and so forth, this doesn't happen overnight. This doesn't happen in a weekend. This doesn't happen in a month. I mean, you could party for two months straight and you wouldn't develop atherosclerosis. But if you eat a pretty bad diet for 10 years from the age of 25 to 35, you've probably caused some damage. Um, so my, to answer your sort of what you brought up, I always begin with a pattern of eating, rather than thinking, oh, if I eat bananas, will it make me less nervous? If I, you know, it, it, because those things are, those things are the, I, the very last, not even the icing on the cake, that the frosting on the icing, the cherry on the icing of the cake, you know, they're fine, I'm not saying they have zero value, but it's certainly, there's a huge base of the pyramid that where 90, 95% of the benefits come from, that we tend to forget about for the, the very sort of slender apex. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh no. What? I think we lost him. <laughs>
1: oh, he froze.
2: He froze. Dang it. That's
1: okay, we'll just wait. We'll just wait for him to come back. <laughs> because that's brilliant. Because he's, he's talking about like what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm didn't, I was at the healthiest I had ever been in my life. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I was, <laughs> when my thyroid died, I was actually on a path. So hopefully Duncan comes back and join us in a second, but I was on a path towards a fitness competition, which may mm-hmm. or may not have been the healthiest thing, but at the same time I was super aware of what I was eating.
0: I was not yeah. eating
1: yeah. any kind of sugar and excess. I had no excess caffeine, nothing. Yeah. Um, so all of that played into it so it's really interesting that we have that compared to what we're talking about here so it's like you know here he is he's back yeah
0: yeah hey, sorry. sorry guys I, think I, I, I heard you guys talking about me behind my back saying I was oh, sorry
1: <laughs> you said all good things <laughs> and
0: and then I um and then I just it, the screen shut down I'm so sorry at what point it did we happen. freeze
2: you were talking about the narrow apex of the oh, sure. pyramid. So, yeah, it was so like right, right after that.
0: <laughs> do you want me to repeat anything or did you- No, you you're fine, that? we heard all of it. Oh, yeah, great. unless you okay. said anything after that. <laughs> no, 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 nothing nothing particularly interesting anyway. Um, yeah. So, So on that, in that vein, in the absence of pathology, because certain pathologies require, as we were talking about before, certain pathologies require more specific interventions, more individualized attention. You know, you may have heard that the ketogenic diet can be very good for epilepsy in children. Um, or, you know, if someone has a PKU, they need a very low protein diet, things like that. Putting aside those specific pathologies, if I'm asked what is the sort of best general nutrition advice, I actually steal from the wonderful american food writer michael pollan um, who's he's not a nutritionist himself he's just extraordinarily well-researched intelligent writer and he has this beautiful succinct phrase where he says one should eat whole foods mostly plants and not too much so a sort of three three three-pronged approach to healthy eating and, you know, if you, if you like, we could sort of discuss in a bit more detail what each of those elements means. But if you've, in the, once again, in the, absence of, in the absence of pathology, if one follows that advice, you've got 98% of your bases covered. You really, um, in terms of, you know, in terms of optimal just day-to-day feeling, energy levels, sleep and so forth, in terms of having your bases covered, in terms of micronutrients, macronutrients, vitamins and minerals, and so forth. In terms of disease prevention, you know, you've got those lifestyle, those most prevalent lifestyle diseases that I was mentioning before. If you eat in this way, you will mitigate um, from, at least from the nutritional perspective against most of these. It's really, it really can be that simple. It's just can be difficult to execute in practice.
2: Yeah. And, and we see this too, with, um, at least I see this with the, uh, the fitness community, if you will. Um, the people who are really pushing, you know, strength and wellness, but from a, a health perspective, like, yeah, you can look great, but if you feel like crap, that we don't care. You know, <laughs> like, no, you should feel good and look good mm-hmm. or be strong or whatever your goals are. And what I see over and over again is that eliminate processed foods is step one. Um, and that's certainly made me feel better <laughs> successfully doing that. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's easy to go grab a bag of chips, but what is that costing you compared to, you know, say going to the produce section, right? Stuff like that. Simple stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you say simple, but it, this is like you say, the, the base of the pyramid. Um, I think it's, it's wonderful advice. It's actually just to your, to your point, you know, unfortunately um we have a a a fitness culture that has developed particularly around social media i think i think largely around youtube and instagram um where there's a promotion of an aesthetic over over health and you know and 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 we just know it And, and actually i i think i've seen at least recently a little bit more honesty and truth coming out but you know uh, if uh, a man who gets his body fat into single digits yeah he might look really really impressive and have a eight pack and all that kind of stuff but he's not at his mm-hmm. fittest and strongest you know you'd be much healthier in that healthy range 12 to 18 percent body fat yes it looks less impressive um Because, well, less impressive according to the current aesthetic standards, Mm -hmm. but that's culturally defined, you know, what's impressive Mm -hmm. is is the eye of the beholder. But according to the standards of today, the, Mm -hmm. I would say, slightly skewed standards of today, Mm -hmm. it looks impressive. But and then, of course, the whole area, the whole issue of of taking performance enhancing drugs to look a certain way, which obviously we know in the long term leads to, it might not kill you, but it leads to to health detriment likely leads to health detriment over time mm-hmm. but but you know let's elaborate on that point i mean to eat whole foods to, to eliminate processed foods the, the first of the of the holy trinity let's call it um it, you know it, it what i always try and emphasize is it's not a purity test you know it's not we're not having a game to see who can eat the most raw Straight out of the ground, covered in dirt, sweet potatoes. You know, mm-hmm. just rip it out of the ground and shove it in your mouth and chew it. Yeah. Of course not. You know, it, all of food has to exist in the context of reality, in the context, in the context of enjoyment, in the context of practicality. You know, food can be entertainment. If it, you know, you sell it, We celebrate with food. You know, we commiserate with food. But it, it's 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 obviously not just. We're not just looking at numbers. You know, proteins, carbohydrates, and fats and calories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you if one can think of it as a spectrum I find it's mm-hmm. quite valuable. So to take just an obvious example like a piece of fruit. Obviously at the least processed end of that spectrum you'll have the piece of fruit that you just, you know, peel and eat or just eat, you know, depending on what the piece of fruit is. S- a slightly a step away from that, one mm-hmm. step away might be putting that piece of fruit in a smoothie. So mm-hmm. It goes through one level of processing. It gets whizzed up by a blender, but, you know, still maintains the majority of the nutritional content and the fiber and and so forth. The next step along that spectrum might be you, instead of putting that fruit into a smoothie, you put it into a juice. So now you're removing certain elements of that food. Most, you know, in a piece, most notably the fiber content. So this, this changes the way the food is reacted to in the body um because you remove that fibrous matrix this has a different effect on your blood glucose and so forth the next step along that continuum towards more processed might be store bought fruit juice that is also is juiced and also will contain preservatives additives and probably some extrinsic sugars so it's even more processed and then the next step along that line might be some fruit flavored candy you know gummy bear or something so you know you don't it doesn't have to be a purity test and i only eat non-processed foods but one if if one stays to the least processed side of that spectrum as much as is practical and possible mm-hmm. the health benefits that will flow that from that particularly in the long term will be very significant yeah Can um, I
1: back up but well no jen you had something no i was just saying absolutely <laughs> so I want to back up to what you said about enjoyment and in the fitness world, we see, at least I see where I am right now. There is somewhat of a dichotomy between you can eat certain things and you're supposed to eat food. Food is fuel. It's not for enjoyment. That bothers me (laughs) like just on a, on a visceral level. It's like, it, no, food is also supposed to taste good. You can only eat food you hate to fuel your gains for so long, right? So, have you come into that? I don't know. Have you, have you seen that? And do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I, I empathize with your point. Uh, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, um, Angela, it, it, it's um, why deny oneself? of one of life's greatest pleasures. To eat, to eat, you know, um, <laughs> it, uh, you know. Life can be tough as we've all experienced the last couple of years, you know. Uh, certainly, you know, when the pandemic was on and a lot of my pleasure in life was, was taken, you know, I, I willingly do it because I, I think it was for the benefit of the population. But, you know, I certainly indulged more in food um, then I would. Didn't no- we all? Yeah, need uh, needed that sort of uh, pleasure. Um, but I guess, I guess, like the the processed to unprocessed food spectrum, it's a spectrum. You know, it. You know, if if one follows, if one follows the line of thought too far in one direction, you mm-hmm. find yourself only eating, you know, boiled egg whites and and raw oatmeal and asparagus.
1: You know, yeah, yeah and, and a piece <laughs> of asparagus
0: steamed, you, you know, fine if if that works for you, but I would say, what no. a shame, you know, what a shame. You know, for, I would certainly feel that way. However, of course, if one follows that line of thought to the opposite end of the spectrum and says, Well, I have to enjoy, well, yes, but we know that certain eating patterns and the overconsumption of certain foods and the underconsumption of others tends to lead to very, very significant detrimental health effects in the long term. So mm-hmm. one needs to find a place on that spectrum that works for them. And of course, it's completely in line with where you are in your life at the time, what your goals are, how important it is to you. Um, but, but I would argue that the very extremes of that spectrum will always lead to some sort of problem eventually. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I've got two kind of questions slash directions I'd like to go in, but if you guys have other thoughts, I mean, feel free to redirect, sure. <laughs> but I mean, know the only we've, thing t-
1: I want to say is with whatever sure. we've talked about, mm-hmm. I have come into contact with people recently and it has made me realize that things we think are commonplace and people understand some people have no idea what a vegetable is.
0: Okay. What, a, what a vegetable. we have no idea who's listening we have yeah. no
1: idea who's listening um, okay i had a client who asked about well is sweet potato casserole a vegetable what about okay. if i get chicken tenders from chick-fil-a that are breaded and fried that's that's a protein right like just no so no judgment here but no. we haven't gone down this path before and it might not be a bad idea to just identify like, what is a protein? What is a carbohydrate? What is a fiber? What is a blah, blah, blah. But we don't want to go too far into that, but to go on to it, some simplistic form, like we're talking as people who know, who've been in this business sure. for a long time. Yeah. I'm always amazed when someone comes up to me and just is so clueless and it's, it's a lot more frequent than I realized as of lately. So
0: that's, that's the a really only good thing point. I wanted to contribute yeah.
1: as we go forward.
0: That's a really good point. It, 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 when one spends a whole bunch of time in a certain arena, you start to skip over things because you mm. assume they're commonplace, but of course they're, they might not be to everyone. And they probably aren't. I mean, if you want, I could elaborate, you know, I talked about this Trinity, you know, eat whole foods, mostly plants, not too much. We, I could elaborate on the other two points, if you like, if that's of some benefit. Shall we, Is yeah. I,
2: I think that would be fair. Um, yeah, because now that, I mean, it ties into something that I was going to go down to, but definitely I've had people who were like, oh, I need to increase my vegetable intake so I drank some V8 juice.
0: Sure.
1: Fair, exactly, all right. <laughs> like, so maybe we, should,
2: maybe we should talk about that.
0: Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. So, so the second element, so obviously first element, eat whole foods, minim- minimally processed foods. Second element, mostly plants. Well, what the, what does this mean? You know, it sounds it's the, probably for many people the most nebulous um, element, the, the least defined element. Of course, plants in this context really means anything that isn't an animal product. Now, just to just off the bat, I'm uh, this isn't I'm not an anti-meat nutritionist um i'm i'm not a vegan myself i i I do have clients who follow a vegan diet vegetarian diet and it works very well but it's curated um and i i do recognize there are some very good reasons that people follow those dietary patterns for non-nutritional reasons ethical environmental so forth however even in the context of that most it seems when you look at epidemiological studies big enough studies over a long enough period of time The best healthcare outcomes are associated with populations where the bulk of their food intake is from non-animal products, which basically means anything, you know, any fruit, any vegetable, so anything that falls off a tree or grows in the ground, but that also includes things like any sort of wheat, carbohydrates, grains, oats, quinoa all those sorts of things seeds and grains and then of course things like nuts you know peanuts uh, walnuts pistachios all that kind of stuff so anything that doesn't come from an animal animal products being of course all the meats fish eggs and then anything that comes from dairy milk cheese yogurt ice cream and so forth so if one the reasons the reason that eating a mostly plant diet or high let's we can even call it a high uh, plant diet is beneficial is first and foremost you'll likely cover all your micronutrient intake goals you know calcium vitamin c vitamin k all that kind of stuff if you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables basically you will likely have these bases covered second reason is uh your fiber Intake will likely be at an appropriate level. Which the more we study fiber, the more we recognize its fundamental importance to digestive health, cardiovascular health, and so forth. Um, and there is some evidence that excess consumption of some meat products, particularly those in the processed realm, processed you know, things like salamis and hams and things you'd find in the deli aisle high levels of consumption of these type of foods in some cases has been associated with things like chronic levels of inflammation and the resultant diseases that flow from that Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, certain arthritic conditions and and so forth, diabetes and so forth. So, you know, you've got a double whammy if you're eating a lot of stuff that tends to only really have positive health outcomes and you're likely mitigating against the Overconsumption of certain foods that might be associated with, with, with lower, um, uh, with, with certain negative health outcomes. So that's, that's the mostly plants aspect. Does that, is that clear? Does any question, do you guys have any thoughts on that questions on that?
2: I mean, it makes sense to me. And, and I appreciate that you emphasize the over consumption part because mm-hmm. that is yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like too many carrots will turn you orange, but that doesn't make carrots bad. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> right. of, yeah, yeah, of
0: course, <laughs> of course. Underpinning in everything, I would right. say, not just in nutrition, everything in life is balance. I mean, drink too much water and you get hyponatremia. You know, yeah, it, yeah. You know, everything right. in balance. Um, yeah. And then finally, the, the, the third and final element is not too much. I, I prefer to say the right amount, not too much for some people it can be a bit, um, I don't know, a bit triggering, a bit offensive. You're talking perhaps. to an under
2: eater, that's not helpful either.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, a very good point, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in that context, but a very good point. You know, not too much. It sounds a little, it, it's not, it's certainly not intended as accusatory, but one might experience it that way you know depending on where you are in your life so the right amount might be a, a clearer way of looking at this but the, the right amount basically you know even if your diet consists of only whole foods healthy foods nutrient dense foods we know that overconsumption of calories due to the laws of thermodynamic dynamics over a long enough time will lead to weight gain and the potential resultant uh, negative health, health health effects experienced by those populations. So, it, it's it's quite important um, to note that medically speaking, to be overweight or what you know we call obese or type you know in in the UK we we talk about class one two three obesity. I think in the US, you talk about this term morbid obesity, uh, obesity Mm -hmm. that leads to illness. I I don't like that term so much, but I understand the use of it. Um, There's nothing actually inherently wrong with it. It doesn't necessarily lead to ill health. We, in fact, we know, and and this number is not 100% set in stone, but the number that gets bandied about, about 20% of even what we would call class two obesity, what you guys would call morbid obesity, are perfectly metabolically healthy. It has no ill effect on their metabolic, on the metabolic health of that individual. But the other side of that equation is we know that about 80% of class two obesity people do over the course of time experience damage to their metabolic health, which tends to lead to, lead to heart disease, in in the u.s obviously diabetes which diabetes is very very significant in the u.s at the moment particularly so it, it's not that you know i think it's important to note that when we say you know the right amount of calories it's not a, a prejudice against overweight just you know just as there's no prejudice against being underweight it's just that we know that once your your body weight let's say your bmi your body mass index or your your body fat percentage goes above or below a certain level, there tends to be an exponential increase in ill health. Um, And particularly in the case of overweight and obesity, those ill health effects are the most prominent and destructive and deadly diseases in our society at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why the right amount is, is, um, is an important element. Overconsumption of, you know, and, and of course, not just talking about overall calories to lead to weight gain or, or weight loss, but, you know, every food does have some sort of toxicity level. Now, I don't say that to scare you, you know, like you say, <laughs> you, know, you might turn orange if you eat too many carrots.
1: But I like strawberries, the strawberries yeah. can cause gout. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Look, if you true. eat enough of them, But whoever got, you know, whoever turned orange from eating carrots, you know, it, it, but, but, you know, I, I tend to say it has a, it has a, an annoyance level. If you eat too much, you get gastric upset, you know? yeah So, but, you know, and, but certain foods do have a toxicity level, you know, you too much and you'll have some problems. So this is certainly the element I'm happy to admit that I struggle with the most as a huge enjoyer of food, you know, eating the right quantity, but, um, it's as important as the other two elements in that trinity of of, of ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. I have yeah. so many thoughts, Jen. Chime in before I go <laughs> off on the deep end here. So many thoughts. Oh, um, well, okay. Why don't I'll just put my
2: thoughts out there. My my two big things that I'd like to discuss, and um, y'all can figure out if we're going to go on from there or if we're going to go down one of Angela's rabbit hole, rabbit holes. Maybe it the might be the same. I don't know. Um, so when I was listening to you talk about this, um, and of course we've got our, our fitness background too, and we've talked, um, multiple times about, um, treating musicians as athletes, um, just in terms of the physical demand on our body. Um, and having worked with athletes and musicians, um, it's always interesting, uh, interesting in quotes, uh, to see the mentality difference, you know, between musicians and uh, sports athletes, even though they're going through almost identical things. Um, So where I was headed with that with you is, you know, what are you seeing as the differences there? Does it compare when you were working with athletes um, to working with musicians? I know the needs are going to be a little different um, mentality-wise, need-wise, stuff like that. Um, So that's kind of question one is the athletes versus musicians and nutrition. Um, And the second one, actually, I was going to be, I'm not sure if you're going to be interested in talking about this, but you were talking about jumping continents and countries and all of that. Um, And I know, experientially, and through people I talk to, and just through rules and regulations, um, American food Versus European food and Australian food, quite yep. different. Mm, uh, so I was wondering what you please, were seeing. Yeah, yeah between those. I like those to know. And I'm trying to jump. Yeah,
0: these, these are these are very good questions. I'd be happy to go with either or both of those. Both. If, yeah, they want great okay, questions. <laughs> so it had
1: nothing to do with my questions. So this is just great. Keep going.
0: Okay. Oh, sorry. Did I have I have I cut? <laughs> no, in? not at all. Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so no, gosh, fantastic question. So, yeah, you you bring up a really interesting point. This sort of um, difference in behavior between performing artists and athlete performers, shall we call mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. Um, my experience, and this is this is purely anecdotal. It's not it's not based on a singular experience, but it's anecdotal to me. I don't this isn't based on research or data, but. In my experience, it really depends on where you come from culturally or, or mm-hmm. just nationality. I'm from Australia, and my I, I may have mentioned, no, I don't think I did. Uh, my mother is from Brazil, from Rio de Janeiro. Okay. And in both Australian and Brazilian culture, this is, of course, general, not universal, but there, in both of those cultures, there is this a, a relationship, a, what I would describe as a adult and healthy relationship with health and fitness and nutrition um i know that sounds judgmental i didn't used to be so judgmental but actually about this idea but um i think it's it's worth pointing out you know when you go to brazil there's this idea of you know why wouldn't you want to eat healthy food and be out in the sun and exercise and walk and play sport and and uh, you know be on the beach you know all this kind of stuff and and and, ha- you know, fine, there's an aesthetic element to that in Brazilian culture. They like to look good on their bikinis and their board shorts, <laughs> whatever. Fine. What You know, whatever. Uh, nothing yeah. wrong with this. But, it's you know, it's, it's this thing of like, why wouldn't you want to experience all the benefits that healthy lifestyle brings to you? And I think it's, it's similar to that in Australia. I realize weather also helps this. I'm, obviously, Australia and Brazil are both very warm places, and that tends to relate to a bit more of a uh outdoorsy active lifestyle but it's the same in australia why wouldn't you want to just eat fresh healthy food and go to the beach go for a run play sport go surfing go rock climbing you know these things are are beautiful you know in the uk and this is i purely admit a bit of judgment has crept into my psyche although i love my you know my new adopted country there's more of a what i would describe as a childish mentality uh childish relationship with health and fitness once again general not universal but you, what you often get is oh, i suppose i should go for a run today i suppose i should drink more water i suppose i should eat more vegetables you know sometimes it does feel like on mass not talking to individuals but because you know people are of course individuals are smart but but groups of people are less smart you know
1: sounds like um, honestly is
0: mm-hmm. that well i was yeah. going to ask it it's um yeah. but you know, it, it reminds me of
1: in parts. In parts.
0: Well, I was going to say, my experience is the U with the U.S. is what I love about American culture and Americans is this like active openness to to trying things. You know, this is I think this is possibly the reason like the best entrepreneurs at the moment, are, you know, coming out of the U.S. All the the exciting companies and there's there's a real this isn't specific to nutrition or fitness, but there is a real sort of can-do attitude in Americans, which is wonderful. It's very inspiring. And so if somebody applies that mm-hmm. to their health, then they'll get the benefits. But of course, on the flip side, you know, in terms of health outcomes, a lot of the stuff I was talking about before is most pronounced in America. Look, the UK and, as the UK and Australia aren't far behind. But, um, you know, I think the, the, the most recent um, uh, results from the CDC, for example, say that uh, about 40,000 people in the U.S. die every month from obesity-related illness. illness. So, you know, this is a, a pretty galling statistic. So you, you seem to have the, the two extremes in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of specifically mapped onto this idea of athletes versus artists, once again, in the UK, I still think there's a little bit of a stale relationship with it, where they, there seems to be a false dichotomy created. You can either be an athlete or you can be an, a- an aesthete. You can either be an athlete or an artist. And we're a different, we sit at different tables, which, of course, is ridiculous. This is, this is a new way of thinking. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the samurai in ancient Japan used to also be poets, and, and calligraphers, um, you know, it, 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 there was nothing, you know, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci was a doctor and an artist. You know, it, it, it's um, this idea that these things are very separate is, is I would say it's just it's just objectively incorrect. I think it's it's a uh, prejudice even perhaps. Yeah, um, 100% yeah um, anecdotally 100 well, sorry <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, I would agree with you I would agree with you. Um, so yes my experience is actually british people are more close to it not once again not individual okay. to individual but on mass there's a bit of a, a turn your nose up scoff that is it, it seems to be the default fine you know I, i'm not if i'm honest I'm, I'm just trying to do my thing i'm not trying to change the world you know
1: mm-hmm. Hey musicians, did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing-related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering, quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers? Or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness? Or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig. And you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? so many right well it's time we start talking about our struggles our pain our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch but we learn how to strengthen our muscles our career successes and build each other up i've got a brand new program that combines all of these things and i want you to be a part of it it's a community not a workout it's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks will have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work, so you can avoid that career-threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want, we don't want to be injured, we don't want to have a lack of stamina, and we don't want to be clueless, aka when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a, quote, doctor, Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're gonna walk away with an immense knowledge of who to see, you're gonna be empowered because you're gonna know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured, you will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're gonna learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, But you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians.